What is up, guys? Welcome to another edition of the Got Next podcast. And as my name is Carlos, and as always, I'm joined by my trusty co-host Rafa. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. I'm doing pretty good. It's been a crazy few few days. Uh, I'm just looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, I mean, what the playoffs have been pretty crazy, but there were a few like non-playoff news that came up this week. Yes, which, um, we will, which we will talk about. Yeah, so actually, let's just get right into it. New NBA news. Um, we didn't cover this last week, but Brad Stevens, the new GM of the Celtics, which still is kind of weird it's to say. Very weird. Very, very weird. But he, he, he traded. There was a trade that happened, which yeah. I didn't know could was possible during the playoffs. Yeah, me neither. I really had no idea you were allowed to do this. So when I saw a trade... I saw Woj posted it, and I was like, okay, which Woj fake account did this? <laughs> yeah, especially considering who was traded. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like, what? Yeah, so just to get into it, um, it's Boston traded for Al Horford, Moses Brown, and a 2023 second-round pick for Kemba Walker, a pick, a, pick, uh, a pick, wait, this year's pick, right? Or is it next year's This year's pick? 16th pick. Yeah, this year's 16th pick and a 2025 second round pick. So, wow. I guess what? Brad Stevens doesn't like Kemba Walker? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it, he does have an injury history, I guess. And if Brad Stevens would know who's valuable and who's not, it's the guys he's coached, right? Yeah, this is kind of strange. I, I wonder if like the rest of the roster is now like on their toes just because, like, the coach that they I mean their ex-coach is now trading them. Yeah. Well, except for Tatum and Brown. I'm pretty sure they're solid. Unless like they better be. They better be unless you're gonna get like a a better player. Like if you're trading Jalen Brown, but in return we get, I don't know. Ben Simmons. Nope. <laughs> um if we get I'm just speaking like Kawhi Leonard. But of course I'd yeah. be like, oh of hell, course. Yeah, that's fine. But otherwise, they, 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 they actually could have traded for for Jalen Brown for Kawhi Leonard a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, <laughs> anyway. for a rental, a rental. But anyway, for a rental, but be, that, I don't want the rental because then we lose yeah, both let, Brown and Kawhi. Yeah, uh, but speak, let's speak about this actual trade. What do you think of it, Al Horford returning to Boston? I saw I saw a lot of funny pictures of like here's a quick Photoshop of Horford in a Celtics jersey. Preview. Really <laughs> Those were really funny. Um, yeah. So I like the move. Um, the hope is that you continue to start Robert Williams. Um, if Horford's coming off the bench, I would think that would be the benefit, and that's a good mentor for Robert Williams because I think Robert Williams is going to be very important for the Celtics in the near future. Um, Getting rid of Kemba Walker was huge. And, yeah. of course, from the Oklahoma City side, they have, like, no cap. They have, like, all the cap space in the world. And they get another pick out of it. It's like, so... This year, from this year's draft as this well. This year's draft, yeah. So, they're going to end up with Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, uh, <laughs> Jalen Green. How many, how many picks do they have this year? I don't even know, to be honest with you. I got to look that up. And then they're going to get Usman Garuba... Which would be great, actually. I hope they get Usman Garuba. But anyway, yeah. So they're pick hoarding, and then the other 
benefit for the Celtics is Moses Brown, uh, who's a good, energetic, young center who can kind of fill in um, right behind Robert Williams and Al Horford. Um, what's yeah, interesting... I mean, he- he killed them. He killed them in, the, in their one matchup. I remember watching that game, and I was like, "Who the oh, hell yeah. is this guy?" And like, I know he was killing the Celtics. Yeah, Brad was like, "Oh damn, we got to get that guy." <laughs> um, yeah, I think someone pointed out the best game that Moses Brown played this season was, you know, surprise, surprise against the Celtics. Um, and so, of course, people were trolling on Twitter, like, "Oh, OKC getting another pick." And I don't like this trade for the Celtics because they're just getting an old, washed Al Horford. And they gave away a, a young guy who was potentially very good. Like, they could have gotten Usman Garuba for that pick or whatever. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. The, the benefit of it is they get Moses Brown, who's shown flashes and could be, could be good for them. Like, Kemba Walker, you don't know whether he's going to be healthy or not. And it's a bad contract. Yeah, I... Do you think this kind of carries on the tradition, though, that Danny Ainge left, where they're just trading like injured point guards for supposedly better, quote unquote, better value? Oh, one hundred percent. Does that scare away future free agents? Although they did, they, they Kemba signed there despite that uh, that Isaiah Thomas trade. So yeah, maybe it's yeah. not a big deal. Um, I think that get having um, Danny Ainge gone will change things. But, you know, Brad has to be kind of careful with the rest of the moves he makes. I don't think people are going to be as salty as about the Kemba Walker trade because they might understand it even though they don't agree with it. Or, um, I mean, it brought Al Horford back. That's some good PR. Um, yep. So, I don't know. Um, I think it'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, do you think Moses? Like, I guess you, you said Robert Williams is the future, still the future center. So, what do you, where do you think Moses Brown will fit in uh, the future Celtics? Well, he still got he still got to develop though, right? He's super raw. Mm-hmm. So I think that he gets to develop with Al Horford um, and kind of learn from Robert Williams too, and what Robert Williams has done to um, improve his game. I mean, that's just another elite role threat, and you know, in theory. Well, I won't say elite, but a good role threat with vertical spacing. And so in theory, one of the things the Celtics missed um, was a consistent role uh, or consistent rim pressure. Ideally, mm-hmm. you were getting that from Kimball Walker last year when he was healthy, but you can also get that from a roller that provides vertical spacing in the way that Robert Williams does. So I'm sure they're trying to get both, but if you only have one, that's that complements a guy like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum very well. Yeah, but it, it, it might be a sign of things to come as well. Maybe Brad is looking to like completely restructure the, the roster here. Maybe, maybe. I mean, right right now the roster, I, 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 saw, I saw Keith Smart, I think, right, right down the depth chart. And they don't really have a point guard besides Marcus Smart. Yeah. So but do you want they probably Marcus need Smart? a better point. They probably need a better point guard. Exactly. Yeah, we don't want Marcus Smart, the only point guard on the team, right? For sure. Um, yeah, so I don't know. They're probably going to be looking to sign some people. They need, they need someone who can get to the rim pretty consistently um, from an offensive standpoint. And I think they need a coach to kind of restructure their, um, their offense because 
Brad Stevens is really a defensive coach and he did a great job with getting even the young guys on the same page and learning how to defend teaching 22 year olds, how to scram switch is a testament in and of itself. Yeah. Well, so he did a good job. Now their offense wasn't the best stagnant at times, overly reliant on individual talent, which they had plenty of, but in the, at the end of the day, that's probably what lost them the series against Miami. That's what lost them the series the year before to Milwaukee. So, yep. Well, the year I guess Milwaukee, I think it was Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving going crazy also. But that's true. <laughs> that's true. Anyway, <laughs> good point. Touche. Touche. But speaking of coach, so let's let's talk about some of the coaches that lost their jobs. There, there are there are a few people available to replace yeah. Brad Stevens for the Celtics. Yes. And I mean, as we mentioned, Brad Stevens got promoted. So the Celtics job is open, but not because of a firing. Now, there have been a couple of firings like Nate Bjorkren and Scott Brooks, both of which are probably justified. Yeah. And I don't, I wouldn't want either of them coaching the Celtics if we're going to go there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, me neither. Me neither. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Yeah, I think for both of those, those those, those ones are kind of warranted. Maybe the SVG one as well. Maybe, but it seems like um, Zion is ex- Zion Williamson and his family are expecting star treatment, but he's only like in his second year. So I'm yeah, not I- totally comfortable with that. It's like mm, you're letting a 20-year-old decide who gets to coach the team. I don't like that. What, is he, what does Zion know more than Stan Van Gundy does at this point? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like, but I did, I, did, I did hear that there was a... Uh... There was like mis misalignment, misalignment between management and SVG as well. Like in terms of okay. playing, I think the one example was wanting to play the kill Alexander Walker more than Bledsoe and than Eric Bledsoe, <laughs> and SVG didn't want to like wanted to stick stick with Bledsoe. It was a bit strange considering he's not necessarily like someone like not not necessarily a star, right? And yeah. SVG is, I mean. Mikhail Alexander Warrior is pretty good. Right, right. So, I mean, I guess they wanted to develop him, but I think Stan wanted to win now. Maybe that's the disconnect. I don't know, but yeah. But they didn't win now. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. That is definitely <laughs> the problem. Um, but yeah, I've, I'm not totally comfortable with the Stan Van Gundy firing. It's just, it seemed too, too soon. After one year, this is yeah. kind of like the curse of some coaches. Like Phoenix lost coach after coach after coach, and it took them so long to get back to where they are now. Yep. So, it, it, very, yeah, especially one year and like a re- like a really weird roster with not a lot of spacing around your two star players who can't shoot. It's yeah. a bit strange. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. I'm not sure how much Stan could have helped the offense on the in that in that point from that point of view. Yeah. Well, two that. I might be okay considering are Terry Stotts from Portland. <laughs> I mean, say what you want about his defense. His offense is always good. Now you, maybe we'll, you can attribute a lot of that to Damian Lillard, but he ran good sets. And the one that I, I really, really want is Rick Carlisle. Yeah. That's the one I want. Yeah. He played in Boston. So it makes sense. He was a Celtic. <laughs> he won the title in 86 with the team. He was a, that was the year he was drafted, if I remember correctly. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember if that's true, but, I mean, he was on the 86 team. So, yep. Um, I mean, and Carlisle was running great offenses and surrounded by Luka Doncic. And, 
you know, he had the didn't the Dallas Mavericks had the best offense of all time last year. Yeah, until it got broken five times this year, but still. Um, <laughs> but st- that's a that's a remarkable accomplishment considering that Luka Doncic was twenty years old in his second year. Yeah. Um, so, so I think marrying that with like the current defensive principles of the existing defensive principles in Boston, it could be a good yeah, marriage. Could be, could be. So yeah, there are plenty of open coaching positions, but for me, I would like Rick Carlisle to coach the Celtics, or maybe one of the assistants that to con- kind of continue everything. Like I th- didn't the Cel- didn't the Celtics want to interview? Um, I can't remember if it was them. But Chauncey, so, Chauncey Billups, or Becky Hammond. Hmm. I haven't. I haven't heard about the, the Becky Hammond one. I don't know if that was the Celtics, but there was one coaching position where they were interviewing Chauncey Billups and Becky Hammond. And I'm like, yes, I would. Mm. I would love it if either one of those two got the job. I think that was for Portland. I think it might have been. I kind of hope. I kind of hope um, both of them get a coaching position. Oh yeah, I agree. That would be awesome. Um, well, let's let's move on. Uh, unless you have anything else to add? No, no, that, that was pretty wild. Like all these coaching coaches losing their jobs. I'm sure there will be a few more losing their jobs. Oh, probably. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah, yeah. We already, we we've, we've alluded to it before for yes. one team. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah. Move on to the next segment. So the next segment is insight inside injuries because, man, injuries galore. And I think people have been posting uh, the number of missed games so far this playoffs. Um, I think two days ago it was 70. And so th- there's, there's no doubt that there are more missed games because Kyrie Irving missed the game, Ibaka's, Kawhi, mm-hmm. you know, so that, and then CP3. So that's going to go up. Yep. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of trying to look at some of this stuff. It's like, of course, excluding Chris Paul's COVID because, you know, that's, that's a freak circumstance. That just wouldn't happen in any other year. He's vaccinated and he tested positive. So now he has to go into protocols and he's going to miss two weeks probably, which sucks. That's crazy. Yeah, that sucks. Especially considering really he's already vaccinated. <laughs> I know. And so I just feel, I feel bad for Chris Paul because it's like he, gets, he, he keeps getting kicked when he's down. It's like, he gets to the conference final, something happens. Last year, he hurt his, like a couple years ago, he hurt his hamstring. The year after that, he wasn't totally healthy. Then he goes to Oklahoma City. And then now that he's in Phoenix and has a chance, he gets the, very, the pretty unlikely scenario of being fully vaccinated but gets COVID. Yeah. At the very least, though, it's gonna be, he's going to have, what, low, less symptoms. So it's not, Do you think he can still like, exercise, can stay, in, stay in shape during this off day? I don't know. I don't know the protocol, to be honest with you. Um, now, he's 36. So, um, ah. I don't think that the rest is, like, the worst thing in the world. But two weeks is, is pretty brutal. So, well, it could be 10 days. But still, he, he's, he's going to miss part of the conference finals. Now that the Clippers yeah, I, won. He's not going to play game one, I assume. Um, yeah, he's not. Sunday. And he's probably not going to play game two. Yikes. So that's, that's going to be kind of tough. Um, it's the rest of the injuries where it's like, mm, I don't know. Uh, so just looking at it, we have a couple of hamstrings. Harden's hamstring and Conley's hamstring. 
Now, hamstrings have higher occurrence rates and both dealt with it in the regular season. Um, Harden came into camp out of shape. <laughs> yeah, he mean, was pouting. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, Steve Nash admitted it. Like, when he got, first got signed with the Nets, he wasn't playing, like, 30-something minutes a game. Um, we, we, we all we had that fat Harden photo floating around in Houston. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, of course, like, James Harden is just very fit in general, but in game shape, he wasn't quite there. Um, Steve Nash admitted to it, and he was like, well, we got to wait for James to get into playing shape again. And I was like, mm, okay, okay, so that's a thing. And hamstring, like, it, it, it's not a coincidence that Harden, who has been one of the most durable athletes of ever, really, yeah. all of a sudden has this hamstring issue. I don't think that's a coincidence. And then Conley's hamstring is like, I mean, he's a little older and, you know. Was he dealing with it throughout the season? I didn't. I think he was, uh, was, yeah. Uh, so then he just repulled. He just re-aggravated yeah. during, this, during the first round. Mm-hmm. Hamstrings have a very high recurrence rate. So they, 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 they'll happen pretty frequently. And then uh, another one that happens pretty frequently is AD's groin. Now, he never got fully healthy. That's a thing. Um, yeah. And that one you can attribute to a shortened season and shortened off season and all that stuff. So it might be beneficial for AD and LeBron that they have a long off season. And then other things like it's Kyrie's ankle, freak accident, Donovan Mitchell's ankle. He was still dealing with that from late in the season. Yeah. But, you know, we're starting to get to Bogdan Bogdanovich's knee soreness. He came out of the game last night because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel Embiid's meniscus. Kawhi Leonard's ACL. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe there's something to this that is really messing everything up. Because in the bubble, there was a clear-cut explanation for why injury, injury rates might have increased. It was free, that one was pretty Everyone was late. Everyone laid the long layoff and not being able to exercise now. Exactly. Uh, not being able to get in the game shape and then all, all of a sudden having to play playoff intensity games. That made total sense. Um, and it can't be blamed either because I know those guys wanted to play. But this year, it's like, th- this is now the time when we would start feeling the effects of the compressed schedule. And yeah. you know, LeBron had a big rant about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's fired off a series of tweets. <laughs> he did, he did. And which is, you know, from his perspective, he's a player and he understands the toll it takes. He's been doing it for eight, damn near 18 years. So... Yep. He would understand how tough it is to be a professional athlete, especially in the NBA. Um, you know, you also have to understand that the players agreed to it. And um, some of it is there, there was a monetary incentive, not just for management, but for the players. I mean, there are guys who are making like, like I, I don't want to say only hundred something <laughs> thousand dollars a year. But there are guys on that type of contract in the G League, right? So if yeah. the NBA provides money for the G League and ex- the G League is continuing to expand, they have a G League Ignite team, they are starting a team in Mexico, you know what I mean? Like there are players that they have to pay. And in the G yep. League, those are like more normal people wages. Normal, yep. So, so you know... Chris Paul and Andre Iguodala, the president, vice president of the NBPA, they have to look out for those guys too. 
right? Yeah. yeah. So it, it, it's a tough situation, but then this is where the conversation of this is where load management matters. This is why you load manage. People who are knocking it are the same people who are saying we should not have had a compressed schedule. It's like, okay, but this is what we had. This is what we have to deal with. Why not who's, load manage? Who's the healthiest star left in like, right now? It's Devin Booker. Kevin Durant, no. And Kevin Durant. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> load managed a lot this season. Well, yeah. Well, he was load managed because of his own injuries. But that's why I said yeah. Devin Booker. Devin Booker really didn't get hurt this year. Mm. Right? So, and he's young. And he hasn't had the cumulative fatigue that these other guys have had. Yeah. That could very well be the difference in this year's playoffs. But, yeah, it's Devin Booker is young, but because Kevin Durant had all that time off in those 18 months from his Achilles recovery, and then he had a hamstring, so he got a decent amount of rest. I mean, yeah. is that a coincidence? I don't, I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. So, I don't know. I still don't know what to make of this because injuries happen, and some of this is freak stuff. Ankle sprains happen. Yeah. Hamstring strains happen. They're very, very common. But Kawhi's ACL, uh, Joel's meniscus, he has a history of injuries, though. That's, that's, a, that's something to consider. Bogdan Bogdanovich has had some knee issues this year. Mm-hmm. Jalen Brown's hand was a freak accident. You know that what was I mean? a freak accident, yeah. There are a couple of ones here and there where it's like, okay, maybe this is what this affected was affected by the, um, the shortened offseason. Like Jamal Murray would be the prime example. Sergi Baca is another one. Would that Jamal Murray one be a freak one, though? He just landed awkwardly? Or, no. Say that, or is that just from, multiple, from too much fatigue? Like if, if he was out of the game at that point, because I remember people were like, oh, he should have just not been playing because they were getting blown out. If he, if he was taken out of that game, would he have gotten injured? anyway at some point down the line if like he uh, continued with, with such a workload that's hard to say because i mean if they had a game the next night he's experiencing cumulative fatigue maybe that happens but yeah you give him a chance to recover right so that one's not necessarily a freak accident because it was a non-contact injury we have to remember mm-hmm. that like lebron's yeah. was a lebron's ankle was a freak injury someone landed on his foot and caused the injury yeah right he couldn't necessarily prevent that but Jamal Murray was a non-contact injury on a move that he's done thousands of times in his life. So that's, that's, where you, that's where you think, okay, maybe this has to do with fatigue because now his muscles aren't able to just stabilize itself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, one thing I really want to caution people is beware of using the number of games missed because some guys may have played through these injuries. Sergi Baca might have played, yeah, like in the 90s. Sergi Baca might have played through his back. Bogdan Bogdanovich might have played through his knee. Kawhi might have played through this ACL, not knowing um, one. <laughs> Hi, Teddy. Sorry. Um, you're good. No, that's cute. Um, our, third, our third member of our podcast, Teddy. Um, but, you know, one we diagnose these things better. We have better technology to be able to look at these things and the skill of the people doing the diagnosis has improved since the 90s. It's been 30 years. So it's gotten better. 
And then two, the research has gotten better. So we know that the effects of these, of these injuries long-term, and also we know what they're, we more or less can predict what they're gonna look like. We can pro provide a prognosis for what they're gonna look like after certain surgeries. So that's really important things to know. So, you know, I, I don't know what to make of this yet. The game, we have to be careful about using the games missed because it could just be more knowledge, not necessarily because of more injuries. Like, it's more prevention rather than because they're actually injured. Yeah, it could be. Now, I want the best number to look at would really be injury rates per, expo per exposure. And, you know, some of the biomechanical data that P3 has provided, let's see if they have cumulative fatigue. Because that mm -hmm. you really know if that is a variable to consider. I don't know if it is yet. So. Makes sense. Yeah. It just sucks that, like, I guess it, it's more prominent this year just because it's who, who's getting injured. Like, all the, most of these names you, you, you were mentioning are star players, right? So pretty it's much, more prominent. Pretty <laughs> much all every, of them. Pretty much yeah. all of them are. So, yeah. yeah. And it uh, just it, it puts a magnifying glass that, oh, look at all these injuries that are happening. Exactly. So it is what it is. We got it. We have, there's more data to be, uh, to look at. So um, any other questions before we move on to the playoffs? Uh, no, I think I'm good. I just, I want to wish a speedy recovery to all these players. I mean. No doubt. Best, I mean, it's in our best interest as fans that everyone's healthy so that we have like, what? the best champion. I mean, it's truly like, a mat we truly crown, crown the best champion. There's no like injury excuse. Although staying healthy is probably an important skill in that as well. It's, it's a word for attrition. Yeah. <laughs> Let's also stop with the, this is an asterisk season. That's just not fair. I mean, yeah, it's not, it's not. there is not, at this point, there is not a single team that's not dealing with injuries or illnesses. So you, no one gets an asterisk because whoever wins really will deserve it. Everyone's hurt. Every, all, all the teams remaining have something to overcome. Yep, for sure. All right, let's get into the first series that actually concluded last night um, and is we thought we were going to go three for three on these um, game, sevens, but game no. sevens, but no, the Clippers, wow. Holy shit, what a game last night. Mama, there, there goes. goes that man. <laughs> and he's talking about Terrence, man, by the way. <laughs> he didn't know. But yeah, this is the first time the Clippers have made it to the conference finals, which is... And the Lakers aren't there. And the Lakers aren't never, there. We'll wah, never get wah. the medal of LA. <laughs> I know. This is going to be like us being... We're going to look at, back at this 10 years from now and say we got robbed of a Lakers-Clippers series the way we got robbed of a Kobe-LeBron finals. For sure, for sure. But, you know, so Clippers making it leaves only the Charlotte Hornets and the New Orleans Pelicans as the only teams currently who have never made a conference finals in their history. Which, to be fair, they're expansion teams. Yeah. So they haven't existed as long as Boston or fucking Atlanta. Atlanta has made it to the conference final, has a championship because of the St. Louis Hawks. They won in what, 1958 or nine? Yep. The one, the, like that. Yeah, one the of one the two years this... Bill Russell didn't win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when he had an ankle sprain. So, 
What? So you're gonna put an asterisk in that season too? Anyway. <laughs> um, the asterisk title, but for the Hawks. The asterisk title for the Hawks. <laughs> it doesn't count. It, yeah. So like, there are more examples of that, like the the Pistons winning in '89 and Magic strained his hamstring, but blah blah blah. I'm not. We're not gonna go there. We're not gonna go there. No, no. Let's not go there. <laughs> you can you can point to injuries in all in all playoff runs. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, what was interesting about this game was, of course, Mike Conley returned, but he didn't. He, to me, he didn't look quite like his former self. Yeah, he he he. I mean, of course, he had to give it a go because it was the last game. No doubt. But it did, he did not look. It, it's kind of reminiscent. I mean, kind of kind of like Harden, where he was not moving around super well. And he, unfortunately, he's not as good as Harden where that he, he could still contribute in other ways. For sure, well, for but, sure. But, yeah. yeah. It, it's... Uh, he, uh, good, good, good job for him get, for giving it a go. But, yeah, no it, wasn't, it didn't look right. He didn't look right. No doubt. Um, and, unfortunately, Kawhi is down, too, with that ACL injury. Um, yeah. What's encouraging is that I think someone sent showed a video of Kawhi. I think he was at the game last night. Um, yes, yes, I saw that. Too. Where he was like walking. I was like, are we sure Kawhi's even injured? Because he doesn't walk with a limp. It was like... He didn't I have mean, a brace as well. Yeah, I was like, well, there's no brace. that If it's an ACL, there's no brace that can help that. Like, there really isn't. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll tell you, there's no brace that helps with ACL injuries. Even if it's a sprain. And yeah. honestly, here's the thing. People who have fully torn their ACL can walk with no limp. So a sprain would, it would totally make sense for a sprain if he walks normally. I mean, that's a good sign. That doesn't mean he's not injured. Shout out Ryan. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan our old roommate Ryan walked fine with his t- torn ACLs in college. Well, there, yeah, he had two torn ACLs <laughs> in college. And he was walking perfectly normally after both of them. Now his, yep. his knee swelled up like crazy. But still, he could walk. Um, but that's, that's kind of the point, right? Like, you've seen it, and it happens all the time. It's lateral movement that can happen. Yeah, and rotational movement, especially. That one will kill you. Um, but, yeah, so hopefully we'll see Kawhi in, in, the, in the conference finals. I'm sure both teams, maybe not both teams, but I know the Suns were hoping for an extended series. So that Chris Paul, to buy yeah. Chris Paul a couple more days. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, from the Clippers' standpoint, too, the more time they can buy Kawhi, the better. For sure, yeah. And I think what? Do you think they don't play? How long do you think he's out for? Like, I mean, obviously oh. the risk here is that he tears his ACL, right? Yeah, that, that's the risk. It is. I, that is a really tough decision, and I'm really glad I'm not making it. Um, <laughs> I can't put a timeline to it, to be honest with you. It, it you really he, just depends on how he's functioning. Most likely, he comes back, what, game three? That's the hope. Early I mean, is. You really, you really have to be careful. You really have to be careful. Finals. <laughs> I guess it depends on how the series is going. Yeah. Kind of like KD's. Oh, that, it, just, it doesn't sound correct. It doesn't yeah. sound like a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It doesn't sound like a good idea. You don't want to lose Kawhi for another, for a whole season. Um, but since Kawhi's been down, PG has really yeah. stepped up and is kind of showing why he's still a star. 
he's been really good these last two games. And for the whole series, as you noted here. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's been, yeah, he has. He's been playing well all series. He's not Pandemic P. <laughs> no, no. Playoff P. He, this is Playoff P. I, he stepped up. And especially in game five, uh, what do you have, 37 points? Um, yep. But now I'm start in my head, I don't know why if this is the pessimist in me, but it's like, are we sure Kawhi and PG work together? <laughs> this may be, that may be a gross overreaction. You think they don't? They're both, cause it, no, I think they do, but it's like they're both mid-range specialists. And it clearly works better when Paul George tries to get to the basket, but he is not yeah. the smoothest at getting to the basket. Like, I, PG is a guy who kind of struggles with physicality. And he doesn't get clean looks at the basket even though he gets there all the time, um, it looks like he really labors to get there to me. Mm. I mean, it's effective, clearly, but... Yeah, I think, well, I think someone on Twitter put, uh, uh, tweeted this, and I noticed it also once he tweeted it, is that Polter likes to push off a lot with his off-arm on drives. He just because he can't... He doesn't explode enough to create his own space, like, naturally. Yeah, which is, which is fine. I mean, it's, it's a valid move. But it's like, that's... That's a lot of hitting on your brakes. It's a lot of that. So I'm watching, I'm watching out for PG too, for fatigue for him. Because it's one thing if you're just sprinting and you're going 90, 90% of how fast you can go and you get to the rim, easy. It's another to be hitting the brakes hard the way PG is. It's a lot on your, on your mm. joints. So, you guys, um, do, you, do you think there's a, there's a risk there then? <laughs> potentially, potentially. But, hey, PG has been playing well. Um, I think having Kawhi out removed an isolationist and got the ball moving a little better. Because there, yeah. are, there are sets that they run for Kawhi and PG where when they touch the ball, they shoot. That's, that's the point of the set. And both are decent enough decision makers to make the right pass, but they're not all time passers and the sets are specifically designed for those guys to shoot. So they're in their mindset. I am taking the shot. Tunnel vision. Yeah. A little bit tunnel vision, but I mean, if the, if the whole point of it is to get you an elbow touch, so you get, you get to take a shot. That's, that's what you're going to do. Um, mm-hmm. There aren't, you know, there are sets designed to do that. And then there are sets designed to give you options. And it seems like the Clippers do more of those sets to get those in isolation. But now that you only have PG, the only real isolationist left, it kind of felt like the, the Clippers were moving the, um, the ball around. And hence, Terrence Mann had a brilliant game. Terrence Mann, yeah. He, he had a really great game. And I, I guess, like, what, the, the Jazz game plan was to let anyone else try to get like leave him open they put Gobert on him right and they're just gonna let Terrence Mann beat him beat yeah him, yeah and, he, did. and <laughs> he, I, literally, he literally did he literally beat him um I mean from their perspective it's like okay Terrence Mann sh- well here's the thing he shoots 41.8 percent from three in the regular season but he only took 1.4 attempts so let's see what happens when he has higher volume well this is what happens <laughs> Yeah, so that's what happened, unfortunately. But that's kind of the gamble you do. However, 
there was kind of a significant flaw in their game plan. Um, we'll actually, mm. we'll get to that with the Gobert stuff, but um, yeah. I mean, we have to credit Terrence, man. He, he played really well on both sides of the ball. He guarded Donovan Mitchell for part of this, and he looked pretty good. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he's a two-way player for sure, and tough, 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 tough uh, on-ball defender on defense, and then he, he, obviously a play finisher uh, is his role in the Clippers, but he also like, gets the basket pretty well. Yeah. And, but actually, honestly, like, a lot of his shots were open threes. I, 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 oh, no doubt. I can't really, uh, can't really say he created a lot of that himself, you know. No, he, he, did a, he had a couple of – he had a tip slam on Gobert. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> oh, that was pretty awesome. And he also and had the one in game five, I think. No? He did. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't remember, to be honest. But Terrence Mann has played very well. Another guy that's played really well is Reggie Jackson. I and mean, that's absolutely shocking. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, the confidence from pull-up threes, he, he really thinks he's Steph Curry right now, which is, you know, good and bad, but clearly it's to the benefit of the Clippers. He's playing with confidence, and he's done a better job um, on the defensive side of the ball since game five of the Mavericks series. He, he's too small to guard Doncic, and that, is. that's been proven in the last two series they played each other. But oh, for he's, sure. He's fine against, like, players closer to his size yeah i think for and sure strength. and and let's give credit to ty Lue as well for trying different schemes because they were mm. switching and zubach was getting killed and then they were switching jackson on he was getting killed but then they start switching only good matchups and then um it was jackson hard hedging and then keeping morris or Kawhi or pg on Doncic. and then in this series you feel better about jackson on mitchell so you don't really switch that. And Jackson's done a, a decent job. Um, so a lot of credit to Ty Lue for continually making these quick adjustments. I, I think after game two or game three of the Mavericks series, he realized, oh, shit, I got to try some new stuff. This isn't going to work. Game two for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the starting yeah. lineup didn't change much, but yeah. Yeah, he was like, oh, okay, I, I got to do something different here. This isn't good. Uh, so credit to Ty Lue. I mean, the Clippers absolutely deserve this, uh, despite Kawhi being out. I'm very impressed. Yeah. Did you see that stat on Ty Lue? Eight and one. And was it eight and one? No, eight and one since the, going down 0-2 in both series this season. And I think there's also Ooh. something. I, I forget what his record is when they're down. Sorry, when they're in, in elimination games or was it elimination games or was it? a chance to close out this series. I can't remember which one, but he's apparently really good record of that as well, considering what they had three against Golden State in 2016. Yeah, yeah. Two in, um, the, in the first round. For sure. I, uh, I, I think that uh, Ty Lu has done a really, really good job. <laughs> it seems like he likes to play from behind. Like going down 3-1, <laughs> that's when the Cavs played the best. Going down 2-0 against both the Mavs and the Jazz, that's when they start playing better. It's, it's really interesting. But credit to him, man. I mean, Baca and Kawhi are down, and he just continues to adjust. He's using, like, everybody on the bench and then some. He's not afraid. He finds to- the combinations that work, yeah. Exactly. He's not afraid to bench Rajon Rondo for Terrence Mann. You know what I mean? Like, if this was Doc Rivers... There's no way Terrence Mann is doing this because Terrence Mann wouldn't have even seen the floor other than maybe 
two minutes. For sure. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. I, like, I remember just last year, you stuck with Louisville and Montrez, even though they were getting cooked by, the, the, by Denver. Yeah. Yep. So, this, yeah. you can see how much adjustments Lou made game to game. And even yeah. like half to half in yeah, this half half, game, man. Yeah. In this game. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that, that offensive adjustment for Clipper, the Clippers. And then let's also talk about, let's go into the Jazz because, man, they. They kind of stunk it up. I'm not going to lie to you. They stunk it up. Um, there were things on both sides for the Jazz that I was not happy with, um, especially in the second half of this game when they were in an elimination game. Um, on the, let's start with the defensive side since it matters for the Clippers' offense. I think the Clippers figured out, oh, the corner is open every time. Yeah, because Gobert likes to help. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't just Gobert. It was Gobert a lot of the time, but not every time. Mm-hmm. And even then, it's like, let's say on a, on a right side drive, Gobert is on the weak side. He's supposed to help. That's, it doesn't matter if it's Gobert or Donovan Mitchell. They help. On Someone the has to help, yeah. Someone has to cover the corner in the wing. And I literally took, let's see, let me, let me count how many screenshots i took of this uh let's see one two three four five i took five screenshots of the weak side guy not rotating to the corner that's five that's 15 that is just from the youtube highlight so that's 15 points that they gave up four four of them were to terrence man one (laughs) was to nick batum which who led who didn't nick batum lead the nba in corner threes this year Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and so I'm just looking at the shot chart. In the second half, um, the Clippers only missed two corner threes. Jesus. They were four for five on the right corner. I can't even count the number of corner threes they made on the left side. It looks like at least seven. Oh, God. <laughs> many, of them, many of them wide open. Clippers were one of the best three-point – they were the best. They were the best one, yeah the best three-point shooting teams, and you gave them the easiest three-point shot you could get. So yeah, that's not good. <laughs> so, you know, I think a lot of people gave Gobert a ton of flack. And he deserves some of it because he would help off the strong side because he's so, you know, like his mindset is to help in the paint. So he gave up strong side threes, which is yep. a no-no. But it's also like, well, I have a clip of Donovan Mitchell doing that exact same thing. He gave up a strong side three to Terrence Mann. But, yeah, it's, <clears throat> yeah like, they're clearly, like, that's a scheme, I guess. I mean, that's basic defensive scheme, right? The weak side helps. But also, yeah. that also kind of shows why do they have to help? It's because they're getting beat. The yeah. initial defender is getting beat. So, like, it's only basically that Royce O'Neal who is able to keep their man in front of them yeah. pretty much. So, yeah. that's also... Poor on-ball defense. <laughs> what point of attack def- right. defense by, by the other perimeter players, especially yeah. with Hampton Conley. Now, Mitchell he, also yeah. isn't the best uh, defender in that, in that in that sense. Which is fair. I mean, I I was not happy with the Jazz perimeter defense because other than Royce O'Neal and occasionally Joe Ingles, they weren't doing a good job of fighting the screens. That's the mm-hmm. that was the big one for me because 
it's the NBA and you're in the conference semis, so you're facing a good team and you're going to get beat off the dribble. It, it, it's inevitable. And that's why you need a guy like Rudy Gobert. But there are times when if you really fight and give the effort, Gobert doesn't have to engage. And it's not going to be every time, but you'd like to have that occasionally where Gobert yeah. does not have to engage. That's rim protection as well. You know what I mean? Like, if you're contesting the shot yourself without anyone rotating, that's a win for you. That's rim protection still. So, yeah, I, I largely agree with your point, but sometimes Gobert does have to help. And so then it becomes the guy helping the helper who, who's supposed to split between the corner and the, and the wing. And you can see multiple instances. Joe Ingles not even looking at the corner. Donovan Mitchell's not looking at the corner. They're not even going to rotate there. On a drive. Yeah, is that a drive? Sorry, is that does that mean like was that part of the game plan then that they do leave I guess man open? It was majority of the time Terrence man, so I'm guessing it was. But honestly, after two or three threes, I'd be like, okay, contest them now. Let's switch it up, yeah. Contest (laughs) them now. He has 30 points in the third quarter by the third quarter. We gotta, you know, slow him down a bit. Yeah, I was just like, oh shit. Okay, so the increase our theory about increasing the volume did not affect his shooting percentage. Close out on him and let's X out. Or if, if Gobert doesn't close out, let's X out. Joe Ingles from the wing, you're going to contest that. Gobert contest the wing. Yeah, exactly. So too, too often they just gave that up. And I was like, after a while, it's like, eh, you can't do that anymore. You got to stop doing that. You yeah, just we were talking, lost we're talking about, we're talking about Ty Lu's like great in, in game adjustments and. Snyder's in this game was not good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh my God. Um, and so I think you had something in here. Um, is Gobert fraud? Because you put something, <laughs> which in fairness, you put the stat 12 of 15 field goals with Rudy Gobert as the primary defender. So shown in the broadcast, yes. Yeah, which many of those were those Terrence Mann threes. We have to remember that. Many of them were. So not totally fair. Uh, some of it's fair, but not all of it is. Um, it's, it's like I think it's it's a it's a it's a combination of Bernard not being the best. He's not. He doesn't have the toolkit to be in a five to play a five five out uh, like five small small ball lineup basically, right? They can't. He he can't. He's not best for that kind of defense. Well, is that defense is that fair though? It's not like it's not necessarily his fault. It's just. He's not his skill set is not fit for that scheme. He's not right? best. He's best in a drop, and he's best protecting the paint. But yeah, I think it might be a little bit of an overreaction to say that he's a fraud. <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far to say he's a fraud. It's just not. It's just I, that's, yeah, yeah. He he's his value takes a hit, and the scheme really did not help. But here's the thing too. When I, when I watched some possessions, there were instances where he did defend well on the paint and he actually deterred a, not Paul George, but the rest of the guys from taking, taking shots against him. And that's valuable. Yes, yes, definitely. So his, that, that, that's the thing though. Like he, does that, he does that a lot as well. But there were just times, but there were, I think there was at some point like Reggie Jackson or Terrence Mann, they weren't scared of him anymore. Yeah. Well, they yeah. did. Especially game five, Reggie Jackson was just going right at him. Yeah. And so, which, is, which I found so crazy. Like, 
Yeah. Kudos to Jackson on the co- irrational confidence. No well, doubt. Rational, no like, doubt. Able to score. <laughs> no, it's still irrational, but he was hot. I mean, he's an NBA player for a reason. But, you know, I think Gobert, to me, is still a very clear positive on defense. He still made a ton of really good, positive defensive plays. And game two, he was all over that game. I think it was game yeah. two. But yeah, he's had good defensive games of monumental impact. But the scheme doesn't help. And his instinct to be overly protective of the paint can limit his impact. And so that's when you start to think of, okay, it's guys like Draymond Green, Anthony Davis, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who are more versatile, who can still protect the paint, maybe not to the degree of Gobert, but yep. can still provide that rim protection on top of other things. Better to the degree which Gobert can. Yeah, agree. Um, so that was the, that was the Jazz um, defensively. We talked a lot about the Jazz on that part. But then offensively, to be honest, they just fell in love with Donovan Mitchell's and Jordan Clarkson's isolation shooting. Is I mean, they yet, stopped playing team ball. Was that a fraudulent, not a fraudulent, but a fake, quote-unquote, 20, like an unsustainable 25-point lead just because it was built on Jordan Clarkson and, and Donovan Mitchell going off on, like, really tough shots? So I don't know if it was unsustainable, but, like, I think people on Twitter kind of got over their head when they were, like, Donovan Mitchell's skill set is more valuable than Giannis's on offense, of course. And I'm like, the, the fully realized, and Jackson Frank said this, the fully realized version of Donovan Mitchell's skill set, which is Kawhi Leonard, really. Yeah. That is, or even Steph Curry, that is more valuable. But you cannot provide enough of an argument that this, this version of Donovan. That this Donovan Mitchell is more valuable than this Giannis Antetokounmpo. You just can't. Like, Giannis is a flawed player, but the, and he's not being used in the best way. But here's the thing. Even in game six of that Buck series, which we'll get to, you keep, like, the Nets just are incapable of defending Giannis. Whereas I'm looking at the shot chart of the Jazz. Dude, the, the number of deep threes that they took was way too much. Way too much. There's, there are, there's, there's one here from, like, just in front, inside the three-point, just inside the half-court yeah. area. Like, what the hell? <laughs> I feel like that's the story of the game right there. I mean, when I'm watching this, I'm like, Donovan, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, it, that's a terrible crazy. shot. Like, his shot selection was terrible. He made nine threes, though. <laughs> well, that's, that's tough to argue. But at the same time, 15. Okay, I mean, he took 15. But then the rest of the Jazz, it's like, hmm. Not the best. Well, they shot 47%, so fuck me. But still, I think... No, I think but, but a lot, I think if you, if you split between the first and second half, you'll probably get a way different percentage. I think the, the, the main point I'm trying to make here is that the Jazz fell in love with the isolationism. And yes. they stopped playing Jazz basketball, and it kind of hurt them. That's... That's how the Clippers kind of came back in this game. More so maybe defensively than offensively, but I, I didn't think that they, they made all of the right decisions. 
I mean, they had very few mid-range jump shots in the second half. I don't think they had a single... They had one attempt in the mid-range. Yikes. When they... I mean, they're at the rim wasn't great. It was bad. They missed a lot of shots at the rim. Maybe you supplement those with a couple of shots, take away some of these pull-up threes, take some pull-up mid-rangers, and maybe you're in this game. Maybe. I mean, they were in it... They- yeah, they probably could have staved off the the Clippers' comeback much better with some better adjustments from Snyder. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, we, we've talked a lot about that series. <laughs> yeah, the Clippers um, are the conference finals. Um, let's, let's move on to the Eastern Conference. Uh, we, have, we have one that just is going seven. Philly versus Atlanta. Well, we have both of them going to seven. Which one do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about Philly. All right, the game six earlier. Yeah. What, they almost lo- – like, actually, for a second, I thought Atlanta was going to take it after they – I think Ooh, they tied it with, like, two minutes to go or something or yeah. more than – But yeah. Philly, Philly hung tough. Um, yeah. With Ben Simmons on the bench. <laughs> yeah. So, firstly, credit to Doc Rivers for taking Ben Simmons out. Um, does, he had, does he attack the Atlanta defense better than – Giannis attacks the Nets defense. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the L on that one. However, <laughs> however, I will stand by that in, in the games I was talking about, he did attack the, the defense better than Giannis was attacking the Nets defense, and it's, it's changed but, now. That's true. <laughs> so I'll, I'll take my lumps on that one. It was a, I don't think it was a bad take for that time. It did not age well. <laughs> Adjustments have been made. Yes. I, but again, I stand by what I initially said. It didn't age well. <laughs> Dude, he, he took six shots. He took six shots. That's not okay. What happened to his post-ups? He was posting up a lot in the first. I don't know. Game. They went away with it, I guess. Or he was just like ineffective. But yeah, no, I mean, not, that was not a good Ben Simmons game. I mean, he's... He's still defending pretty good, but even in this game, it's like screens that he's normally able to get around, he was not getting around very well. Like something was off with yeah. Simmons today. It was weird. Like he he didn't seem as engaged. I don't I don't know what the right word is for it, but yeah, he just didn't seem like what he normally what he was before uh, the earlier part of the series. No, that that's what I was thinking too. It's like he he doesn't seem as energetic, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's what it was or if Simmons was seeing something different. Um, I mean, did the Hawks make this monumental change? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, they went small. But they had gone small previously in the series, so that shouldn't have been a surprise. And even if they go small, that's big win for Simmons because that puts Collins on Embiid, who's guarding Simmons, Danilo Gallinari. So I'm like... I, even if the, can, the Hawks does ben have a bag, though? Role. He doesn't have a bag. But you know what <laughs> he has? That. You know what he has? Strength. He has a physical profile that is matched <laughs> by no one in the NBA besides Giannis, LeBron, and Zion. And he doesn't use it. And he doesn't use it. Honestly, if I was Ben Simmons' size, I'd bully ball everybody. I don't know why he doesn't. 
this is my back and forth with Simmons because there's so many things that he does great. And then it's like, oh, but you only take six shots against people you clearly have a physical advantage over. He goes away from it. It's will to ask, honestly. Um, I don't know. It's infuriating that a guy of his caliber, clearly a talented player, but there's so much more that he can do. And it's infuriating when he doesn't try. It's so it's really strange. He only played twenty five minutes this game. That's how much. Like he got benched for Tyrese Maxey. Like what the heck? He's, yeah. Which credit Tyrese Maxey had himself a game, man. He had himself a game, and he yeah. defended Trey Young really well. well. Now Trey Young still lit him up, but the 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 process was pretty good. No pun intended to the process, but the process was much better than the result, of course. But you have to give him credit. He defended Trey Young pretty good. I mean, they, well enough that they got the win. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then, and that they got the win with Joel Embiid playing really bad. I mean, he shot 37% from the field and had eight turnovers. He, yeah, like Ben and yeah, but actually, their, their best players did not play well this game. Yeah, and the Sixers still won. So a lot of it was Embiid not being able to read because they, the Hawks switched up their defense. And so he was having a hard time finding the gaps and reading things. And so his go-to then to counter that is to hit a mid-ranger. And he was get, hitting contested mid-rangers. He wasn't making them today. He wasn't making them today. So you make or mislead. But you also... Yeah, but like he was taking a couple of step backs. It was... Yeah. But here's the thing, make or miss is also making or missing the right passes. Mm. Boom. I just dropped the (laughs) mic. That's a good one. That's a good one. Thank you. Um, But anyway, yeah. So one thing that I like the Sixers did, though, was they changed their coverage a little bit on Trey Young. They started it last game, but Embiid is high. Like, he's high hedging now. On that, especially when Clint Capella was on the floor. Brilliant move. Good move. Yeah, they, 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 I guess they're respecting his, uh, his ability to, to play it against the drop. Yep, yep. And, yeah, and I mean, that's where Embiid is best. But, man, Embiid showing the mobility that he does to hard hedge like that, very, very impressive. Um, Joel, is, even though he had a bad offensive game, he didn't have the best defensive game. But he's showing the tools that he has to be a Im- more impactful defender than just a drop big. <laughs> Gobert. <laughs> that's not Gobert's lander. Gobert has the tools to somewhat <laughs> do that. But still. But yeah, like, uh, that, that's at least with Embiid, even though he's not, he's still impacting the game without, without even though his offense isn't up to par. You know? Yes, yes, for sure. Um, all right. Let's see. Did you see? Did you see uh, Seth Curry's brother in the game? I think Seth he was Curry. highlighted. Seth Curry's brother was highlighted in the crowd. Oh wow! <laughs> Seth Curry's brother. <laughs> Not was it, he was. Yeah, that was that was the caption on the on the photo. <laughs> wow. Because Seth Curry was balling. Seth Curry was balling. No doubt, he was. Is he the better brother? Because he's already he's one get one game away from the conference finals. Well, his brother is didn't even make the playoffs. 
Yeah, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> no doubt, Seth Curry is the the elite, the more elite. Um, the goat more, Curry. He's the better Curry, no doubt. <laughs> Seth Curry for MVP. Well, to his credit, Seth Curry played well too. Seth Curry played really well. Yeah, I think the others, the others for the Sixers, like made up for Embiid and Simmons not playing as well, not up to their standards. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's a thing. Like, despite, I think this is one of the concerns with the Sixers if they face the Nets is that they're not as deep. I mean, it's it's their big three, and then who else? But man, the, their others are really good. Tybal is one of the best defenders in the league. Seth Curry's an elite shooter. Um, George Hill can create some stuff out of pick and rolls, and he's a good point guard, a good shooter. They've got some guys that can really yeah. play. So good on good on Philly. Um, game seven is going to be tough for the Hawks. Now the Hawks are still a really good team, and they're still running great sets. But the limitation they're, without they've won two games yeah. in Philly. This series, yeah. so I'm not. They're not. They definitely aren't. They they won't go go in scared. <laughs> yeah, I think their big concern will be Bogdan Bogdanovich's health. Yes, because a lot of their sets work because they have when Trey Young gets trapped or when they aggressively go at Trey Young, there's Bogdan to handle the rest of it, and now you're leaving that up to Kevin Horder and John Collins, which. Both are good players, but they're, they can't handle that secondary creation volume that Bogdan is used to. Yeah, I feel like if Bogdan was, in this, was able to finish this game and was healthy, they might have won this game because I think there was one play down the stretch where it was Horder taking the game-tying three instead of possibly could have been Bogdan in that spot. Yeah, so, you know, if it's, if it's bogey, maybe it's different. Maybe the outcome is really different, you know? Um, yep. Yeah, yeah I've, I've underrated this Hawks team. Uh, I, I said oh, in the, before this year, Hawks in uh, Sixers and Five, regardless of Embiid's health. Yeah, they'd be the conference finals, man. Yeah, and here's the thing I, I'll, I said that if Embiid's healthy, it's five, and I was wrong. I said it's the Sixers and Seven if Embiid's not healthy, but clearly Embiid's healthy ish, and it's going to seven. So and honestly, I don't know if the Sixers are going to win. I really don't. Yeah. You know, I, I just thought about this, right? Because um, there, there was a lot of com- – compared to how the Clippers have just made the, final, uh, the conference finals for the first time after trying for so long. Who's, what, happened, what was the change that happened between this year and last? It's the coach. <laughs> yeah, it's the coach. And now that coach is in Philly – Blew, blew a 2-1 lead and then blew a 26-point lead where they were going to go up 3-2. Yeah. Yep. yep. So, <laughs> brutal. Absolutely <laughs> be, brutal. If the Sixers don't make the conference finals, yeah. the Doc Rivers might get, might get fired. Ooh, already? Yikes. Um, all right. So uh, let's, let's do a prediction. Who wins game seven? Ah. <sighs> I still want to stick with my guns and say Philly. I mean, they sh- it should be Philly. They they were up twenty six in Game Five. This series yeah, should be over. Should be over. If they didn't fuck, if they didn't blow tw- what was it like twenty three points or something? Or yeah. 20, yeah. At the end of the third. So I, 
well, I want to say Philly. So I'll say I'll say Philly, but obviously the caveat Hawks. I mean Hawks will definitely show they can win there. But it's oh, yeah. if Philly doesn't win, man, <laughs> that's that's, that's, that's brutal. Yeah, that is brutal. Um, I'm still gonna go with Philly because that's what my prediction was. But I'm nervous, man. I don't think the Hawks are clearly comfortable. It's really honestly yeah. at this point that both teams have made their adjustments. It's going to be who plays better. As oversimplified as that is, who plays better? Whoever scores more points will win the game. <laughs> That's a hot take you got there. That's man. my hot take. Whoever <laughs> scores more points will win the game. No, but it really is whoever executes better who and more- honestly who, who knocks down their shots. That's what it's going to come down to, I think. Yep. Yeah. I'm such a great analyst. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> I'm a fantastic analyst. Hashtag analyst. All right. Analysis. So let's move analytics on to the, right there. Yeah, that's some great analytics right there. That's some stats for your ass. Let's let's move on to the last series, the the Nets and the Bucks. Um, Woo! So we have a so Rafa. I want to ask you this before we talk about the last two games. So I always shudder when you say had, that. <laughs> we both had Nets in seven. But given how the series has gone and with the injuries and stuff, are you surprised that we are here? No. Because I no. <laughs> you, I'm, you are, you're not surprised. I'm not surprised considering the injuries. I mean, if, if you told yeah. me before the series, oh, hey, so Harden's not going to be 100%. He's going to get hurt. And Kyrie's going to get hurt in game three or four. Like, mm, okay, this might go to seven. Wait, what? You're surprised that it went seven? Wait, no, I'm not say- surprised. I'm not surprised that we're here. I'm surprised. Like, if if you told me those injuries would happen, I would have assumed the Bucks would have won in at least at, at worst six. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. fair. That's fair. But after the lack of adjustments until last night or the two nights ago, <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah, it series, shouldn't. Like- it, it. Sorry, I'm gonna go on a rant. It shouldn't. You shouldn't wait until you're about to lose the series to employ your five. Your, Giannis at the five. What took so fucking long? He did the, they did do it at the, end of game, at the end of game five, but by then it was too late, and Pat Con- Durant was just killing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Bud, man. My God. Well, I'm, I, you know what? I guess better late than never, and man, did it work. It really worked. And they play Lopez at the, at the level at times, too. I'm like... Thank you for finally changing. I mean, <laughs> honestly, get, I get not wanting to do all these adjustments early on, but man, you, you could have won this series way before, especially when Harden and Kyrie went down. Like, Jesus Christ, dude. You should have won yeah, this man. by now. I feel like I, I said last week that Bud would, would only save his job if the Bucks won the championship. Yeah. Heck, at this point, maybe even if they win the championship, they might have to fire him. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. There's no, there's, that would be so historically unprecedented that the championship coach gets fired. Phil Jackson, 98? Uh, a little different scenario. <laughs> but like uh, after a first yeah, championship. It's a very extreme scenario, yeah. It was a different it's scenario. Really I mean, true. Michael and Scotty were, Michael retired and then. Scotty didn't come back, and you know there was there was um the whole Jerry Krause thing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So it was a little, that's a little different. They had won three in a row. So, but anyway, back to, back to Bud. I mean, Giannis at the five presented such a clear advantage. I, I am genuinely flabbergasted that they didn't go to it prior. Like they, physically, they, yeah. just, they, can't, they can't stop him. Giannis has no bag. They can't stop him. <laughs> he has like one hook shot. He doesn't, he doesn't need a bag. It, That's the thing. He doesn't. He straight up doesn't. Yeah, I think if you, if you see, I think there was a stat for that I saw on Twitter. I say this a lot, but <laughs> I saw a stat on Twitter. I think the average range of his shots um, throughout the game, the six games, is just because it's getting shorter and shorter yeah. uh, per game. So hopefully he stays with that in game seven. Otherwise, the Nets, the Nets will win. <laughs> yep. Um, we also have to give credit to the other guys too. I mean, Holiday and especially Chris Middleton. He played Dude, Chris- really well. Wow. Yep. Every time the Nets got like within five, five points, I believe was the lowest they got it. Chris Middleton made a big shot, and usually it was a tough, isolate like mid-range shot, if I remember correctly, like a post-up or a fadeaway, some kind of shot like that. Yeah. No, that was that's huge. Um, I mean, Chris Middleton deserves the game ball. He also played good defense. So, um, but yeah. yes. So, uh. I actually want to held talk KD about to Brooklyn's... Points. Yeah, held KD to 30 points. I want to talk <laughs> about Brooklyn's uncharacteristically poor offense the last two games. I know Kyrie's down and Harden's not, you know... Harden's not healthy. Yeah, and he's KD just, won you know, them game five. I mean, he had a there. historic game. Yeah. But I feel like they've gotten a little too ISO heavy. Which is funny to say because of who the Nets are, but they would... They usually do a lot of stuff before they get into their isolations to get their guys in their best spot. And it seems like all they're doing now is just going straight to a KD post-up. And it's stagnant. It doesn't help guys like Joe Harris or Bruce Brown or whoever, what have you. And so I think, I mean, the the Nets scored 89 points this game and they they weren't particularly efficient. So I'm really wondering, like, because it's the others that are struggling. KD played all right. It's the others. And so that's kind of what you have to rely on now with Harden hampered. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, it was like Joe Harris hasn't shot well at all this series since maybe game, game one or game two. I think we had one good game, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, the others need to step up. I, don't, I, wonder, I wonder if it's just... The, I guess what you're saying is they need to go back to those kind of more get they get the others involved uh, kind of sets. That's exactly what I'm saying. I just even if you're gonna go to these isolations, go into your sets to get the guys in the best position possible so that they can make decisions and play make. Because I mean, Kevin Durant had seven turnovers and was have, struggling to find the others too. And uh, there were times when even James Harden would catch the ball, has somewhat of an open shot in it, he wouldn't take it. Yeah. You know, so that's a factor, but Blake, Blake isn't getting his open shots anymore because Lopez isn't giving those up anymore. And the, the Nets kind of have to figure something out on offense because they're not going to have Kyrie. Harden might get better, but I wouldn't Wait, count Kyrie's on having not playing MVP. Game seven? I don't think he's playing Game 7. 
Shit. And so you're going to have to rely on Harden getting a little better, which he might, but is he going to be 100%? I don't know. Yeah, Irving yeah. is out for Game 7, for sure. Yeah, oh, that's not good. For the Nets, at least. But it's going to be... I mean, it's gonna, we'll see how Harden looks in this game. Maybe, do you think by now, like, what, he's played two games now. He is out for, what, a week? Yeah. Is that enough time for his hamstring to like kind of come back to somewhat normal where he can be a bit more effective? Uh, I don't know. Or is it still too soon? <laughs> it might be. It depends. You know, it varies so much. It might be too soon, yeah. but you, you risk it because it's win or go home now. You don't want to be you, – you don't want to sit back and think, I probably could have played through the hamstring. I would have I wanted to try. Yeah, I mean, he definitely did the last, the last two games because of that. And Harden, what? He – it was clear, like he was limited in his movement. He would, like, I think there was one game where Dorsberg kept saying, "Look at him! He did, he could have gone for a fast break here, but he just slowed down." Oh yeah, he stopped. Yeah, yeah. There he were stopped. there were tons of those. So, you know that that limits the Bucks' efficiency too. Or Bucks, the Nets' efficiency too, because he's not attacking yeah. as best as he could. So that's that's going to be a problem, and that's something I'm going to be looking for with the Nets. Um, uh, let me. Do you have anything else to add for the Brooklyn Nets offense? I, honestly, I think it's, it's Katie's going to have a similar game in Game Five for them to pull it out. <laughs> Although I, I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't count out the Bucks doing stuff, stupid things. <laughs> That's true. And let's talk about the Bucks' stupid things now. So, <laughs> last game, actually, I was actually happy, mostly happy with their offense. Like they. They're still they're doing the pick and rolls that where Giannis is the roll man and yes. the Nets really can't stop that. It helped Drew Holiday get into his shots and uh, Drew Holiday didn't play the best game, but it was better and he was being aggressive and Middleton was getting his shots um, and Chris Middleton was balling. I mean he was he was taking shots just out of transition and wow he was he played really well. But man, here's my huge gripe. Because this shows like a severe lack of self-awareness. As I had mentioned, Brooke Lopez has a supreme physical advantage over everyone on the Nets can throw at him. So no posting up for Lopez. That's a way you can keep Lopez on the floor. No, no post-ups for Giannis. That's a way you can attack the, the defense. There are still too many times when Giannis is above the break. And we know at this point, it's been happening since 2018, where you put a, give him a wall, and then he's, he's having a tough time playmaking because the Nets are able to recover. They're baiting him into doing that. But if, you, if Giannis is at the elbow, you can't wall him because then that makes it's it... enough space, yeah. Yeah, because then you really have to be in the paint, and that gives the Bucks shooters open shots. And so I'm not happy with them still having Giannis outside and also Giannis's decision-making. He can't, he can't fall for that bait. They're baiting him to taking long threes, and I'm okay with him taking like two or three to keep it honest, but you got to cut him down. It, so you're not, not in the camp of, I, you're not in the camp of uh, he should be taking zero threes. Um, I'm partially on that camp, but if he takes one, if they're going to give it up on, on, on like a fast break, you can't not take it, but you can also reverse it. So 
I don't know what camp I'm on, but if he takes one or two, I'm not. It's not the worst thing in the world. As long but, as it's not eight. As long as not eight, and you're not leading the Bucks. Um, yeah. My huge gripe with the Bucks is, you know, Harden isn't a hundred percent. We all saw him oh put the brakes on. We saw him put the brakes on the fast break and let you off the hook. Why didn't you target him? Go at him defensively. It's maddening. I don't know if, yeah, they, I don't know if you'll get a start, switch on him, but involve him in pick and roll. Get him out of the game. They started with it in, the, in that game, game six, but they went away from it. It's, it was very strange. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you'll actually get him in isolations or get him to switch on your guy, but involve him. Make him fight through screens. Make him have to run around. Make him have to do tough closeouts. They weren't. He got to sit there and rest. And in the second half, Harden looked physically better. He was just sitting on the corner. Like, Brooke Lopez was standing in the corner. He's just, you know, hands in his shorts. Well, Giannis is like pounding the ball at the top. Sometimes it was it was very strange. I understand why they like Harden clearly is limited and they're not they're not going after it. Make it's it more maddening. I mean, that's just the <laughs> lack of awareness that the Bucks have, and it's infuriating. Because if I'm the opposite coach, I'm like, well, we may go down like five, ten points, but you know what? Let's get Harden out of the game. He's let's let's remove the threat. Honestly. Because if we if he fatigues and we remove the threat, we only have to worry about Kevin Durant. Let's do that. That makes their defense so much easier. Yeah. Makes it makes our life so much them. easier. Even if we go down ten, then we can you know then we'll have to work some stuff on offense and come back. You don't want to go down, but honestly, you gotta do what you gotta do, man. Yeah. I, so. Yeah. I mean, I, I this is why I think they should still fire him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, well, I guess let's go into prediction. I can't mean Bud. Yeah, no, I know, I know, for Bud. So let's just go into <laughs> prediction. Who do you think wins Game Seven? You know, like seriously, the Bucks should have won Game Five, and therefore they should already be in the conference finals. Yeah, but they're not. They're not. <laughs> they're not. Um, I don't know. I th- I feel like I trust. I trust Katie to have a big a big game rather than the Bucks having a, yes yes a better game plan. So I might still st- I, I think I'll still stick with Nets the Nets here, but I won't that won't I'm still rooting for the Bucks to win. I really want I really want I really want Giannis to to win and like get yeah. rid of the <laughs> of the haters. But I know yeah, the, I know. Bud really doesn't give me confidence as, as the series has gone along. No, Bud does not give me confidence. Um, you know you know who the Bucks can use as a coach is Rick Carlisle. Or Terry's thoughts, honestly. But, you know, I, I want the Nets to win because I don't want to reward poor coaching, inferior coaching. Not that Bud is a bad coach. He's clearly a good coach. It's just like, I think for his growth as a coach, he needs to learn, like, he needs to learn to figure these things out. Like, he clearly knows how to design a good defense. He knows how to design a good offense. But, he needs to learn the adjustments part of it. That's a really important part of the job. Your X's and O's, but also your flexibility, your adjustments. And so genuinely, as a, 
I'll, I will make fun of Bud. It's just, you know, I'm a dick. But <laughs> truthfully, you got to learn to adapt. And the fact that it took you six games and an elimination to put Giannis at the five, it's, <sighs> it's kind of a – and not targeting Harden. and That, that stuff kind of matters to me. So, yeah, I, I'm going Nets, but I could see the Bucks winning. It's a game seven, so it could go either way. And again, I'm excited for this game. I'm yeah, excited for this game. It's in what, twelve hours? Yeah, ten hours. So that's about it. Um, do we have anything else to add? Uh no. I'm looking forward to this game seven and yes. the conference finals as well. Um, we'll probably what? I guess. Well, uh, you wanna? Yeah, conference finals coming up um, soon. Yep, coming up soon. That's gonna be fun. So, yeah. Well, um, I guess that brings us to my announcement. So, um. <laughs> I am actually going on vacation the next two weeks. So I'm leaving for Tampa on Saturday, the 26th, which is usually when we record. And the night before, there's no way in hell I can do a recording because Megan will not let me. Uh, she, is going, <laughs> she is going to be panicking about making sure we have everything we need for the trip. So that's just not going to happen. Um, Fair so enough. Unless we can find a time in the middle of the week, we will not have a recording next week. Um, and definitely will not have a recording the week after that because I will be in Puerto Rico. So, um, sorry to our three listeners, but uh, <laughs> we will be taking a break. Um, you know, maybe, maybe we'll do something in the middle of the week. I don't know. Um, maybe we'll do an article instead of we, a podcast. We got to get, uh, get our conference finals yeah. prediction. Because here's the thing. Yeah, I mean, we could have done a, a conference finals prediction pod now, but I didn't feel prepared to do that. So we didn't. Um, but yeah, let wait, us know. Wait, wait, you want to give a quick prediction on Clipper Suns? <laughs> um, I can do a half-baked one. Yeah, I just say I just, just say how many games and who wins. Like every other prediction, I think the Suns yeah. will win in six. Suns in six. Yeah, I think the Suns in six. For me, given no Chris Paul and no Kawhi Leonard, yeah, well, that's Kawhi. For like half the series, possibly. Yeah, that's kind of the thing I'm weighing here. That's why I have to do a little more research. That's a half-baked take. I'm not like firm on <laughs> Suns and Six. Sun, so I'm gonna. Oh, I was gonna hate Suns. Let's say Suns and Seven. Okay, that's fair. Um, all right, half-baked. Well, let us know on our. Calvin, who the fuck's Calvin? Who the fuck? <laughs> all right. Well. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. Well, uh, let us know on your show. So on our socials. Who do you think is going to win the two game sevens that we have, which are super exciting? Um, and do you think Bud gets to keep his job if the Bucks lose? Let no. us know on our socials. We are at GotNextBlog on both Twitter and Instagram. Visit our website, uh, gotnextsite.wordpress.com. Follow me on Hardwood Amino, the basketball social media app. On there, I am Rafael with a Filipino flag after it. Rafael is spelled R-A-F-A-E-L because P-H is stupid. And uh, that's it for the show. Who's got next?